and it's Steve Tasker who has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve. Steve. A blimp. We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. Hey, let's get going here on a Thursday, one day away from preseason finale for the Bills, two weeks away from the season opener, not just for the Bills, but for the entire National Football League in 2022. How you be? Chris Brown, Matty Glab here with you on a Thursday. Steve is traveling with the team as he will be doing the television broadcast with Andrew Canelon tomorrow night for Bills Panthers live from Charlotte. So uh, he is traveling with the team today, be landing down there tomorrow afternoon, and then he'll be doing the show remotely with me manana. So uh, it's me and Maddie today, and we're kind of knocking around names left, right, and center for people to keep an eye on tomorrow, as we know, Maddie. Not going to get a lick of starters out there on the field, maybe with an exception or two. I was trying to go through the roster to figure out, like, are there any guys that haven't practiced enough, as Coach had said. healthy enough, practiced enough. That they may consider even tossing out there for a series Mm -hmm. or two. We didn't get any indication that Jordan Poyer's ready to return. He didn't practice at all this week, so he would not be – a candidate for that, it would not seem. Um, and so I was trying to rifle my way through the roster to find anybody, and nobody jumped out as far as somebody that would fall into that category. So I don't know that we're going to get any surprise, quote-unquote, starters getting a little bit of action. I mean, you, you could argue Saffold, but he played last week. So, you know because he missed a lot of training camp, but Mm -hmm. he played last week. Dawson Knox, I asked Coach about the other day because he's kind of a unique circumstance too. Didn't play in the first preseason game, didn't play in the second preseason game. And he was like, no, he's practiced a lot. So that got written off too, so he's (laughs) not going to play. You will see Carolina Panthers starters, though. They're going to play into the second quarter Mm -hmm. because they didn't play last week. So they kind of flipped game two and three in comparison to what the Bills did. So – I know some people who work down in Carolina and cover the Panthers uh, for local media outlets there. And quickly after it was announced that the Bills weren't going to play any starters, I started to get some of them tweeting at me and and quote tweeting uh, the tweet about the starters not playing, including Josh Allen. And it was a... We wish the starters would have played in this game because it would have been fun to see the Carolina Panthers starters go up against the Bills defensive starters and the Bills offensive starters. So I think they're a little bit bummed that they won't get a true look at at some intense competition. But you never know, Carolina Panthers. We'll see what our what our twos and threes can bring to the table here. I don't know if they would have described that as fun after watching it. it It'd be fun for us, though. I think the Panthers might be incrementally better than last year, but. Not by much. Uh, Coach Rule for the Panthers did say Baker will go mm-hmm. uh, and start, and then Sam Darnold will relieve him. Sounds as though Baker could play as much as the first half, but Matt Rule said he'll be going on feel in terms of how much they play. The plan is to play two quarters, but if they get – four possessions and they score on four straight straight scoring drives, he's probably yanking everybody early. Um, So we'll just have to see how that plays out uh, for the Carolina Panthers offense and defense for that matter. But 
uh, it's, you know, it's going to lose a little something for me anyway. I mean, I am interested in seeing some of the remaining guys that are still trying to make a case for themselves to be on the 53-man roster, and that's kind of what we're talking with you about today as we are looking for you to tell us who are the two players, one on offense, one on defense, that you're keeping your eye on in Friday's preseason finale against the Panthers. You can call us at 803-0550 or 1-888-550-2550 or on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. And I, I don't know if you had any names in mind, Maddie. I mean, we've been watching these guys every day for the last four weeks. We kind of know who's who and what they're capable of and maybe what they're not capable of. Um, but there are some, some guys that are right on the fringe there that are easy to root for, you know, whether you're talking about a Nick McLeod or a Cam Lewis. Um, Isaiah Hodgins is another guy that still has to, I think, show a little bit more to get greater consideration. So there are some names, and I know it's been a big subject among the media. The tight end position is one that's confounding people too. I think mainly because most of us do not expect them to carry four tight ends, so that means there is going to be an odd man out there. So, tricky. Yeah. <clears throat> Brandon Bean, he spoke to the media uh, yesterday and said that the roster's already down to the high 50s. So yeah. so they have a good idea of who they want to keep on this roster. It's just down to a small handful of players that they are really still evaluating and will continue to evaluate uh, on Friday night against the Panthers. My eye is on that tight end room, um, and I'm really looking at Quentin Morris and Tommy Sweeney. I think they're going to play uh, a good amount of yeah. reps there in the game. And, and you talked about this before we started the show you would expect even OJ Howard to play because you said I think you need three tight ends in, in an entire game it's hard to do um, put that workload on, on two different players but man Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris I think have been neck and neck they've both showed out in different ways um, in terms of their offensive plays um, catching passes um, making nice Nice plays. I still remember Tommy Sweeney's touchdown that he had in practice one day. That was just an incredible grab. Um, Quentin Morris had a couple good catches that day. And the thing, you look at the the back end of this roster, guys who are not necessarily starters, and the conversation is, what can you do on special teams that helps us win? Can you be a four-phase type of player on special teams? Well, both of them do play special teams, yeah. too. So I look at those two as it's really going to come down um, to maybe what they show on Friday night um, as <clears throat> they continue to evaluate and as cuts have to be made on Tuesday. I thought it was an interesting comment by Coach Dorsey when he was asked about Quentin Morris. Um, he was he described him as a player that is kind of on the ascent. He's making progress and becoming a better player with each passing day. And this is where the roster decisions get very interesting because you have a season in which the expectations are to win the whole dang thing. And so when that is the case, some coaches will side with dependable veteran players. They know what they can do. They know what they can't do. They know how they're going to be able to contribute. They've been in a lot of those situations before. They're easier for coaches to trust out on the field. So some coaches will side with experience in a year where they're going for the whole enchilada. Mm -hmm. There are others 
who, while they want to contend for a title when they feel their roster is good enough to do so, also want to be perennial contenders. And we know that's what Sean and Brandon aspire to be, not just a one-year wonder. They want to be perennial contenders. We've seen that the last two years as the roster has reached critical mass. Do you, in a year where you're going for the whole thing, play the long game at a position when you have to make a roster decision? And do you go with a guy like Quentin Morris, who may not have it all figured out just yet, but in a year or two is really going to be a valuable contributor for your roster going forward? Those are the kinds of conversations that the coaching staff and the personnel department are going to have to have in the coming days you know, to get down to 53, and that tight end one conversation is a very compelling one. There are others, you know, that you can talk about on the roster. I mean, a cornerback for me, Maddie, under the hypothetical, and it's just a hypothetical, but I think being this late in the game with each passing day, I think it becomes more and more likely that Tredavious White gets something like a reserve PUP designation because he hasn't started practicing yet. He hasn't been medically cleared that affords the Bills to carry another corner that they might not that they would not have because Tredavious would be on the active roster. So if that proves to be the case, your sixth corner to me is down to like a Nick McLeod and a Cam Lewis. Mm-hmm. And who 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 of those two is the guy that separates himself tomorrow night? So for me, on defense, that's those are the two that I'm looking at. Um because I think they're in direct competition with one another. I don't think it's any mistake that just this past week we see Cam Lewis all of a sudden taking safety snaps. Nick McLeod's been taking safety snaps Mm -hmm. since OTAs. Now Cam Lewis is part of that equation. Does that mean that Cam is right there neck and neck with McLeod and they want to see can he be even more versatile than McLeod? Because we know Cam is already lined up in the slot. We know he's lined up outside as a cornerback. Safety is a new animal here that just got added to the equation. Does that tip the scales in his favor if he proves himself capable back there over McLeod, if, if it is truly down to those two guys? Those are the things that I'm kind of going to try to survey on Friday night. Yeah, and both those players have also had good camps and have stood out in different ways. The defensive line is also a, an interesting position group because you play the numbers game of tackles and ends and yep. and. Do you want more of one position than another? Um, there's definitely some players, if you look inside of that room, um, that are neck and neck in terms of what they've done during camp in terms of do you want a younger guy who may be a little bit cheaper there? Do you want somebody older who's a veteran um, who might cost a little bit more money? How is that all going to shake out? I think you obviously know who your rotational starters are going to be, um, but you need depth at the position group just like you do the offensive line room as well. It almost comes down to if you're putting somebody on the roster and putting somebody on the practice squad, like you're down to two people, like I was just insinuating with Cam Lewis and um, Nick McLeod as an example. On the defensive line, you know, for me, I think if you're only keeping nine, for me it comes down to Brandon Bryant and Shaq Lawson. How many ends are you keeping? How many defensive tackles mm-hmm. are you keeping, as you just stated? And then it, for me, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. So I'm saying to myself, if I'm Brandon and I got to put one of those guys on the practice squad as a veteran exemption, am I going to be more ticked if somebody poaches, 
you know, Shaq, or am I going to be more ticked if somebody poaches Brandon Bryant? You know, because I may need him later in the season. Or who am I more at risk to lose? You know, are there more teams in the league that need pass rushers than defensive tackles or vice versa? So, you know, maybe I run the analytics and say, based on other rosters across the league, I'm more likely to lose a player at position A than position B. I don't, they may go that deep. I don't know that, but it wouldn't shock me if they're running numbers on those things too to make the best possible decision, not only for the team they got to put on the field every week, but for the team they may have to put on the field in week 15, 16, or 17 when they've invariably got a couple of guys nicked up or injured who can't play. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Analytics are big for this team and this defense. I know Leslie Frazier loves looking at analytics and things like that. So I would wonder if uh, Brandon and, and the scouting department also kind of dip into the analytics side of things when it comes to seeing um, who does play more games than, than another with position groups. And then for the offensive line room, it's interesting to look at, okay, you can pick, you can pick the starting five, which there's some new faces yeah. in that group. Uh, but beyond that, a lot of the rotational players or the depth players look like it's going to be a bunch of new faces filling out um, for the, the most back part. end of the room. Yeah, for the most part, yes. I mean, because really, Tommy Doyle? and mm-hmm. Bobby, Hart Bobby Hart are probably your only familiar faces on the second unit. And then everybody else, at least as far as I've got it mapped out, and I think you named the same nine that I did, are new. So not to mention the fact that Saffold's new in the front five. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it'll be a new group. And the defensive line has turned over, too. I mean, with the free agent acquisitions, you're talking Vaughn and then Tim Settle. And Daquan Jones, those guys are locks for the roster, you know. So, and Jordan Phillips is back, so they know him. I mean, I guess I guess he's technically new, but he's been here. So, yeah, there'll be some turnover at both of those positions, respectively. There is other news concerning the Bills today, according to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero. The Bills restructured Deion Dawkins' contract. They convert most of his salary this year into a signing bonus clearing more than $5.5 million in cap space. GM Brandon Bean, as we know, at the end of his press conference on Tuesday, did say he needed to clear some additional cap space to account for the salary differential once you get down to the 53-man roster when all 53 players count towards your cap, plus practice squad, injured reserve guys, all of that stuff. Um, they needed to create more space in advance of those roster cuts when the rules change and who counts on your cap increases in number. Um, we know that he traded Cody four, but that's why I asked that question on Tuesday. Cause I was question. like, is that enough? Did, did we, <laughs> are we create done enough here? space with Cody or we need more help? And obviously they needed more room. Um, I didn't think it was enough because I think it was only like one and a half on mm-hmm. Cody Ford. And that didn't seem like enough to me, but that's why you asked, just to kind of make sure, like, hey, you got to do something else, don't you? And Brandon was forthcoming enough to confirm that for all of us, which was a big help. So, boom, there it is. Um, and he makes, you know, Dion or Tredavious, who had long-term contracts, those two guys made the most sense as likely candidates. So, there it is. In fact, it's Dion Dawkins. So, hopefully, that puts them in a good spot and – they go from there. Um, I don't think they'll need to do anything else. They should be good to go from here. 
We know that Brandon also likes to have about five million in space for emergencies mm -hmm. in case there's like a rash of injuries at a position. They got to sign two new players off the street. Um, he likes to have that in his back pocket to use if and when it's necessary. So hopefully good news there. I know you saw this, Maddie, but J.C. Treader, NFL News and Notes now, former center of the Cleveland Browns and NFLPA president, has announced his retirement. So he was just reelected this year as NFLPA president. So he will serve a two-year term now. But in 2024, the players will need to elect a new NFLPA president. Calais Campbell is the current vice president, but I don't think he's going to be around in 2024 as a player either. He's 35. Yeah. Um, so there'll be a bit of changing of the guard there at the top of the pecking order for the NFLPA president and probably vice president. And there was a big write-up in Sports Illustrated on J.C. Treader this week. So all pretty strategically timed, to be quite <laughs> honest. And um, – he talks in part about the work still to be done by the players mm -hmm. union. He's convinced he could not land a free agent contract because of the union actions he's taken as NFL PA president. He claims that they reached out to a bunch of teams. Hey, I'm looking to play only one, maybe two more years. If you're interested, I'd love to play, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's got good rankings. Not that PFF is the end all be all, but he was like a top 10 rated center in the league last year. Um, so could not get a new contract this offseason. He said he called the Vikings. He said his, age, his agent called the Vikings. They didn't even call him back. I was like, well, that's an Ooh, interesting thing to put in print. That's a little tough. You know, it's a cut, we know it's a cutthroat league and it's mm -hmm. a business, but he feels like he was blackballed because of his position as union president. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure that's easy to say when you can't get a gig in the NFL, but he is a player that probably should be playing somewhere based on his abilities and he's not and in the SI story he said I took the job knowing the risks I think that's the price of leadership take it for what it's worth we'll see if we have not heard the last of JC Treader in the middle of the season well yeah I mean right and that's a possibility it's hurt so here's the interesting thing so he's declared his retirement but if he doesn't file retirement papers with the league some team that's in need could call him and say, hey, you want to come play? Now, he said in the story, if someone calls, I'm not coming. I'll believe it when I see yeah. it. <laughs> the money's right. Everybody's got a price, right? Um, don't know if you saw this, Manny. Tom Brady will start for the Bucks in their preseason finale on Friday against the Colts in Indianapolis. Head coach Todd Bowles said, any player who is healthy will play. Wow. Interesting decision there especially knowing in the last week plus they've lost starting center Ryan Jensen mm -hmm. and starting guard Aaron Stinney, both for the year. Mm -hmm. Not like we're going to miss the first month of the season. Both of those guys are gonzo for 2022. And don't forget, Ali Marpet retired last year at age 28. Remember the other yes, guard? Yes, So they got their guard to guard. They've got none of the three guys from last year I for would, the entire I season. I Tom out there. Yeah, right? Like, that's what I was thinking. Um, first of all, we know Tom comes back from his Bahamas vacation <laughs> after missing 10 days of training camp. You're going to love this. So he comes back on Monday. He practices Tuesday. He practices Monday and Tuesday. Sorry, trying to be fair. Practices Monday and Tuesday. He got a vet day yesterday. 
You just got what 10 a, vet days in a row. What a life. He takes a up. vet day. Yes, what? <laughs> I was like, you just got back for two days. You're already <laughs> taking a vet day? What the hell, Tom? He's going to play a series and then oh be on the bench. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, he's going to start. I mean, and I understand why Todd Bowles wants to do that because he wants to get the new center reps with Tom in a game. Like the communication, the mm-hmm. line calls, him and Tom working together on protections. You need those reps. Otherwise, it's going to be a, looking like a jailbreak in week one for the opposing defense. So I understand why you're playing, but you're also taking a big risk. you got two backup linemen in front of him from the jump. So, yeah, I mean, everything is a risk in the NFL. We know this, but this seem, the risk level seems higher here, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, w- I would say it's it's definitely higher if you're playing some backup offensive linemen and rolling your starter out there and expecting them to go figure it out. But we'll see how long he plays. Yeah. Offensive linemen. Speaking of offensive linemen, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that was bad. I kind of feel bad for the guy, Tyron Smith, mm-hmm. their left tackle. It's an avulsion fracture of the knee, which – Ian Rappaport from NFL Network explained, means that the hamstring tendon that attaches to the back of the knee was pulled off the bone. Nope. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Ouch. So they say he's going to be out until December. Manny and I were talking about it before the show. It's like it's like a 330-pound man. Is that thing going to be right to push off of and you know have 300-pound guys leaning on you? I, man. And especially... The fa- also, he's not a young player. I mean, he's like an eight, nine-year veteran. And like you looked at, it's not like he's had a, a yeah, his crazy health history, history, history. is not good either. Tom Pelissero put together his games missed since 2016. He hasn't missed fewer than three games in any season. He missed 14 games in 2020 because of a neck injury, which is no joke in and of itself. And he missed five games last year. So now he's going to probably miss 10 to 12 this year at least. Um, if he comes back from that, man, more power to him. The interesting second part of that discussion, Maddie, is now you've got a hole on Dak Prescott's blind side, and they did draft Tulsa offensive tackle Tyler Smith in the draft this past spring, but he was projected to guard, and from the reports I've seen out of Dallas, he's battling veteran Connor McGovern for that starting left guard position. But now they're saying he's the most likely guy to kick out to left tackles. You have a rookie left tackle protecting Dak Prescott's blind side, <laughs> which is, I don't know, that'd be a little unnerving for me if I was a Cowboys fan. But they, they've, they've been through a lot already. This is small potatoes, yeah. probably. And they drafted him. I was reading, like, thinking that he was going to, you know, take the spot of Smith later on. But to shoo him in right away. Yeah. Well, they don't really have a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's – those are big shoes to fill there. Yes, Tyron Smith has been injured, but he's been pretty good. I think he's two-time All-Pro. He's like a six-time Pro Bowler. Good, good player. Weird situation, Maddie, down in Miami today. The Dolphins had to cancel their joint practice with the Eagles today. They're dealing with a stomach bug, according to sources. A bunch of players sick and vomiting overnight. So the Eagles had – so this is weird. They had to hold their own practice. They were doing an intra-team practice at the Dolphins' facility. 
<laughs> which has got to be like a fish out of water there. That's got to feel really weird. Where's um, the bathroom? Well, right? Yeah, they don't know where anything <laughs> is. They're looking for directions. Um, but I'll give Coach McDaniel credit for that. You know, you had a bunch of players sick. You're not only trying to protect the rest of your team from getting that stomach bug, you don't want to give it to another team, too, and then they got the same problem you do You've two days later. got your last preseason game coming up. Yeah. Might as well shut it down. So according to the Eagles – they tweeted this out earlier today. No members of their travel party mm -hmm. have shown symptoms of the stomach bug. Um, so their team medical officials are confident that they may have dodged a bullet there. They better hope so, because otherwise that plane ride home is going to be using a lot of barf oh, bags. Nope. Um, and then there was another bit of Dolphins news. Head coach Mike McDaniel said outside linebacker Andrew Van Ginkle had an unforeseen appendix removal. McDaniel said there is significant optimism. It won't affect anything for him as far as the season goes. What the heck's going on? That's the second appendectomy in the NFL training camp. What is going on? Like Joe Burrow had to get an appendectomy. He's just now getting back into practice. Now Andrew Van Ginkle has to... I don't know what's going on. But Weird preseason. It's like the off-season of the appendectomy. It's just, <laughs> I don't know where that's coming from. 803-0550-1888-550-2550 is the number to call. We're asking you to give us the two players you're looking at in Friday night's game against the Panthers. Give us one on offense, one on defense. Whether it's a guy you want to see, hey, does he really deserve to be on the roster or – Hey, is it finally all clicking for this player? Or, man, I'm rooting for this guy. I really hope he makes the roster. You let us know at 803-0551-888-550-2550. The number to get on board. You can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Did you have – I didn't ask you. Did you have a player or two that I'm like, you really are zeroed in on? I think it's Tommy Sweeney and You're Quentin doing the tight end deal. are the two. That's kind of how you got to look at this because – there's got to be a it's, few positions yeah. out there where it's going to be an either-or situation, and it could that those two guys could very well be the either-or there. I was talking about Cam Lewis and Nick McLeod. That's another good one. Um, but, yeah, let us know what you think, which ones you like, and which ones you'll be focused on, because there are some. I know a lot of people are pulling for Isaiah Hodgins. We've seen a lot of that in the Twitter traffic to the show through the course of this week, you know, after he had a very good first preseason game, and the – and the coaching staff was trying to take a long look at him. He was on almost every special teams unit in last week's game against the Broncos, trying to see if he's made progress in that area of his game. So I know there's a lot of people rooting for him. And then I'm trying to run down the roster, see if there were some other guys. There's a lot of people that like Balin Specter. Mm -hmm. That's a guy that's going to be fighting. Do the Bills keep six linebackers or do they only keep five? If they keep five, I think – that means Spectre's probably on your practice squad. If they keep six, well, then maybe he's got to look at it. Uh, or maybe he does something amazing Friday night that convinces the coaching staff, man, he's, he's doing really well. He's coming on quick here. If we put him on the practice squad, we might lose him to another team. You know, that's always the concern, too, that they've got to factor in. That's definitely going to happen. I think some people uh... – also have their eyes on the running back room. How is that all going to shake out? You know, you mm -hmm. bring in Duke Johnson, a veteran. Zach Moss is looking more healthy. Raheem Blackshear has been a, a fun player to watch in the preseason. Scored a lot of rushing touchdowns. Steve and I took two calls yesterday. People stumping for Raheem Blackshear. We had like <laughs> his campaign manager on yesterday. 
He thinks the guy Start should be em. on the roster. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, he's gotten some votes for sure. And as Steve and I were saying on the show yesterday, Matt, it's very easy for running backs to kind of stand out in the preseason. Your eyes are focused on them because they got the ball in their hand, and you can very easily say, oh, yeah, well, I, hey, that guy's got some juice. Oh, I like that guy. You know, and then instantly they become a fan favorite, it mm -hmm. seems, seeming, seemingly overnight. And we've kind of seen that to some degree with uh, Raheem Blackshear. Christian Wade circa 2022. Well, right. <laughs> Steve actually brought him up yesterday. I mean, but, you know, Blackshear, I think, is a guy that certainly earned a spot on the practice squad at the very least. And, you know, we were talking, hey, you know, he's the next Antonio Williams. Antonio Williams was on the practice squad here for two years. He did get to play in that season finale against the Miami Dolphins, scored two touchdowns, mm -hmm. and people were gaga for Antonio Williams. <laughs> so it seemingly happens. There's a running back. There's an underdog running back that turns into everybody's fan favorite that they're rooting for. But let us know where you come down on this. 803-0551, 888-550-2550, or on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Give us a player on offense, player on defense you are focused in on for Friday night's preseason finale against the Panthers. Maddie and I will take a break. Be back with your comments on that and maybe a little what's for lunch when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back here on a Thursday, Chris Brown, Matty Glab, One Bills Live. And in anticipation of Friday night's preseason finale against the Panthers, we'd like to know the player or two you're keeping an eye on. We need one on offense, one on defense in tomorrow's game. Could be a player you're rooting for. Could be a player you're still wondering about. Has eh, this guy got the goods? I don't know. Let me see. You know, anybody you got in mind, we're curious who those players are for you, 803-0550-1888-550-2550 or on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. We go to the phones now, and hitting leadoff for us today is Steve in Syracuse. Steve, what do you got for us? You're on One Bills Live. Uh, thank you. I, I'm in favor of Blackshear, the running back, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I know Steve was on yesterday saying that there's so many running backs could be available for agency and this and that compared with the ones we have already. However, this kid's different. He's, he takes that one cut and he comes right up the gut. He's going to, he's moving. These other cases, guys we got now aren't capable. They don't do that. They might do it once in a while, but this kid is more consistent on that. Plus, he's on kickoffs. He can do kickoffs. Mm -hmm. And then on, on defense, I like Spectre very much. He's a tough kid, hard hitters all over the field. And I vote for him, too. That, that's. That's it for me. Yeah, good pick, Steve. I, I like both of those. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised, and it, and it looks like in our discussion earlier, Maddie, we've kind of hit on some of these bubble guys that people are clearly rooting for. And Blackshear is a one-cut-and-go type runner. I don't know if you can fault the other backs on the team for not running the same way. I mean, Devin Singletary is a make-you-miss, kind of a shifty shoulder fake guy that'll make you miss in space. He's not a plow-ahead guy necessarily. Zach Moss is and doesn't have maybe as much wiggle or burst as Blackshear. So it's kind of like a different strokes for different folks thing as I see it. I mean, Blackshear is just a different style runner, right? Like, yeah. yeah, and you look inside the running back room, and, and if you go down and say what each player is good at, it's it's been interesting because – 
it's not like uh, running backs are 31 flavors. Running backs can do a, a few different things, and it yeah. seems like each guy on the roster is good at doing one of those few different things. Um, so it's kind of a pick your poison. What does Ken Dorsey want in this offense this year? Yeah. I think we can say Devin Singletary and James Cook and Taiwan Jones are definitely going to be on this roster. Taiwan Jones because of what he can do um, on special teams, uh, but they like James Cook's versatility. And Devin Singletary uh, has definitely improved season after season, especially at the end of last year. Yeah. Uh, so what else do you want in there? Do you want a Raheem Blackshear? Do you want somebody like Zach Moss? What about a Duke Johnson? And so I think that has been something that I've liked watching about about the running back room is just how different really each running back has yeah. been. If there's one thing that I think we still don't know about Blackshear, it is what is his level of versatility as a back. And I think one of the reasons why we don't know that is kind of because how some of these games have gone. Like last week's game, for example, by the time he gets in, the game's over <laughs> and the coaching staff's just looking to get the heck out of Dodge. So they're running the ball like crazy. So I, I really don't know enough about Blackshear's abilities as a receiver out of the backfield. Mm -hmm. We really haven't, we seen, haven't really seen that much of all. that. And um, we know he can return, as you know our caller pointed out. He's been on kick return. So that's great. And we know he's got explosive burst uh, that can help him get around the corner if he has an angle. So those are all good things. I just don't know if we know enough yet about Blackshear. Not that I don't like him. I like him as a player, but... On this roster, in a year where you're going for the whole thing, I would tend to think they're going to side a little bit more with experience. I think Blackshear would have had to have an all-pro training camp in preseason to unseat one of the guys ahead of him in the pecking order. Mm -hmm. It really would have taken a, a big lift there. Let's go back to the phones, and we've got Marie in Amherst next. What do you have, Marie? Hi. So I was thinking we already saw what – Moss and Singletary could pretty much do. Do you think the Bills would look into possibly trading them, maybe to the Raiders and bring in Josh Jacobs? Because I could see Josh Jacobs, um, Cook, and Blackshear. I think that would be something. The other two, I mean, I like them, but they've been very inconsistent with their game. They'll have great games, great bursts, and then They'll go missing, and then Josh is running. We're risking Josh, so that's it. That's all I wanted to say. All right, Marie, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. An interesting trade scenario there. Um, I'm guessing she mentioned the Raiders because they're releasing Kenyon Drake, and they're down a running back, at least of name recognition. I don't see them doing that, um, quite frankly, but I don't know. I mean, they're – is there Are there things to like about Blackshear? Absolutely. I just don't know if it's enough to bump one of those other guys off the roster, and I don't see them really all that interested in trading one of those guys, especially somebody like Singletary who knows the offense inside and out. Yeah, in terms of trading, then you're looking at what type of salary are you picking up from the other player? How is that going to work with oh, the yeah, cap space? She had know. a running back coming back in the deal. She had Josh Jacobs coming yeah. back. That's a guy with a lot of miles on the tires, too. The Raiders have run the heck out of him mm -hmm. the last couple of years when he hasn't been injured, and he's had an injury history, too. So all of those are things to consider when you're trying to talk about stuff like that. Let's go back to the phones, and waiting for us there is 
Oh, we got Butch in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Butch? You're on One Bills Live. Hello. Hello, Chris. Hello, Maddie. And it's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you guys. You guys have an outstanding show, and I love both of you. Thanks. Uh, tell Steve, tell Steve I'm missing, but I, <laughs> I, I don't have no problem with Maddie here. Uh-huh, thank you. <laughs> You're more than welcome. I have t- I have two couple things really. I'm gonna go use Blackshear because he's one on the top of my list. Chris, Maddie, you know when they come to this running back, we use we can use the title or call running back and then put somebody in that underneath that title. But sometimes you have certain talents that's special. I know they're talking about. Uh, reminding him of the guy last year we had on the practice with Antonio, but he's totally different. This guy here, and I'm not no disrespect to Motor Zach, you know what I mean. And I'm not even gonna count Cook yet. I'm gonna use Motor and Zach. They are good running backs. This guy's instinct of the way he moves his feet, plant, cut, go, is something totally different. It's just unfortunate that he got drafted late in the draft. I guess Andre Reid had that problem. I guess Tom Brady had that problem. And my man Steve Tasker must had that problem too. But on our roster, Blackshear plays special teams. And in the way today's game is in the kicking game, it's not that many returns anyway. I look at Tuan Tw- Jones, 34 years old, 12 years in the league. His time has come, his time is gone. Blackshear could take that position and still play special teams. Now that's one. On the same offensive side of the ball, I look at Isaiah Hodges. He paid his dues. One thing I know about our guys, I'm saying our guys, Brandon being an administration, that outstanding staff they have, they believe in developing their own. This guy has paid his dues. He came, he came in, he worked hard, he got injured, he could hit the field, but now he's ready to, to play. I can see them keeping him. And now Kumaro, eh, he, might, he might be battling with Isaiah Hodges. Now, on the defensive side, I'm going to let you guys go. Thanks for the call. There's only one player, and that's that cornerback. What was sorry, two players. The two cornerbacks, they're our first-round pick and our, I think it's our fourth-round pick. Those, those, those two guys, I am so excited to watch on Friday. But I love you guys, man, and you guys, God bless both of y'all. God bless the staff, and I love WGF for the rest of my life. And thanks so much for taking my call. All right, thanks, Butch. Appreciate the call, as always. Um, yeah, Blackshear was undrafted. So that doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of undrafted guys that go on to have long careers in the NFL. Um, So, I mean, make of that what you will. I do agree. He's a very decisive runner, Butch. There's no debating that. We already talked about his running style, Manny. Um, I I just don't know. He brings up an interesting conversation concerning Taiwan Jones. Yeah. He is 34 years old. Where do you come down on – I mean, he's still a valuable special teams player in this league. I also think Taiwan falls into the you add to the locker room conversation. Mm -hmm. You are an integral part of the locker room. A lot of the guys look at him as one of the veteran leaders on this team. So I think he falls more into the bucket of a lock on this roster. I would be surprised if Taiwan Jones got cut. Yeah, here's where I kind of come down on it because there is – you are going to reach a point in time where you say, okay, do... They kind of reached that with Pat DeMarco. Yeah, they did. I think that was different, though, because I think Pat's skills had begun to decline. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we can definitively say that for Taiwan Jones. Does he run as fast as he did when he was 24? Probably not, but he's still a pretty important and pivotal special teams player. Where I come down on this is here. 
you've got a first-year special teams coordinator. Now, Matthew Smiley's been here for, for the entire McDermott administration. He's been the assistant special teams coordinator. I'm not indicating in any way, shape, or form that he is not qualified for the role. What I'm saying is to help a first-year special teams coordinator, I think some of the best ways to do that to ensure success is to have veteran players on the special teams units. So if this was a special teams coordinator who was in year like six and he had to maybe do a little bit of turnover and inject some more youth into special teams and they had been a good unit for a couple of years, then maybe a 34-year-old Taiwan Jones doesn't make the roster. But I think with Coach Smiley in this chair for the first time and wanting to have this thing completely buttoned up in a year again – where you're going for the whole dang thing, mm -hmm. coaches inherently trust veteran players more, and I think that might tip the scales in favor of Taiwan Jones. And in a year where you do have, you already have newness to the special teams room, you've got a, a new Matariza is is new on this team, a right. new punter, a new holder. Um, your punt returner and your kick returner is still something that has yet to be seen as who the starters are going right. to be. Um, so those are big new parts and facets of the special teams room. Is that just enough newness for someone like Matthew yeah. Smiley who doesn't want to add any, anything more? It's difficult to say because it's not like the special teams unit is devoid of veteran special teams players. You've got Tyler Matikavich. You've got um, Tyrell Dodson, mm -hmm. who's now been here for like three years. You have Saran Neal, who just signed a big contract in the offseason. So there are veteran performers on special teams that go beyond just Taiwan Jones. If you feel you have to make a difficult choice there, and maybe you have to keep an extra person at a given position, or maybe it is Blackshear versus Jones, and you keep the extra back, maybe that happens. I'm just thinking with a new coordinator in that seat, I think you want to help him as much as you can, and I think you do that with more veteran players on the squad. So that's just me. I could be wrong. We'll find out next week. We'll find out in just a few days as to how that does shake out on the special team side of the ledger and the difference it makes in the roster composition. Manny and I have to take a break here. When we come back, more of your comments. We'll get to some of those thoughts on the tweet sheet, which we have yet to crack yet. We'll do that when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. The Buffalo Wing Festival will be back at Highmark Stadium over Labor Day weekend with over 75 different styles of wings from 24 eateries, local and from across the country, plus three stages with live music and contests. There's something for the whole family. Tickets will be sold at the gate for 20 bucks. Parking is free. Kids under eight get in for free. Learn more by visiting buffalowing.com. Should be a rip-roaring event. People have wing sauce up around their ears. They'll be so deep <laughs> into these buckets of wings. It'd be crazy. Um, I was talking to Steve about it. I actually went to it I haven't probably been like yet. six or seven years ago when it was at the Bison's Ballpark. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a good time. They had a competitive eating contest there. Like Joey Chestnut was there. The Black Widow was Ooh. there. And it's interesting because when you're doing a race and you're eating wings – 
wings are all different sizes. So they would, the way they determined the winner was by the weight, I got to make sure I have this right, the weight of the bones that you left behind. But I thought there would be a way to cheat that. Because if you, like, don't completely you clean the wing off, the bone. you leave a little meat on the bone, now it's a little bit heavier mm -hmm. in the bucket. So I thought that was flawed in being accurate in the thing. These are the stupid things that I think about <laughs> when I'm watching these events. But uh, it was a show, for sure. Uh, being at a competitive eating contest live, that is an experience. It's pure gluttony, but it's an experience. I don't. I might. I might get grossed out watching a. It's oh, it's not pretty. Contest. Live. It's anything but pretty. Um, it's I funny because I don't know. When I was a kid, it was like, you know, you get those. You I go to watch those, it on TV. You go to those town fairs in the summer, and mm -hmm. they got the pie eating, the pie -eating contest, contest. No hands, and these people are mm -hmm. burying their faces. <laughs> That's what I remember as a kid. Now it's like, yeah, corn on the cob eating contest. We got the Nathan's hot dog thing. And, Coney Island every year. It's just anything and anything. They have, I heard out in California, they actually have a sushi competitive eating contest, which now that's something because that's a lot like the rice would just fill you mm -hmm. up so fast if it was like, you know, California rolls and they're just popping those. That would be <laughs> wild. Love to see it. Uh, we are talking about players. You are keeping your eye on, one on offense, one on defense. For tomorrow night's preseason finale, maybe it's a player you're rooting for. Maybe it's a player you still need to see a little bit more of that you haven't through the first two preseason games. So we're going to go to the tweet sheet for a few answers here, Maddie. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official moving equipment company of the Buffalo Bills. Steve leads us off and says, I will be watching Spectre on defense and the Sweeney Morris competition on offense because these are currently – my 52, 53, and 54 mm. on making the roster. Steve, He's right there with us. You know what you're talking about, Steve. Yeah. And Spectre has a circle on my list right now, and Sweeney and Morris are two players that I'm going to be watching. So those, those guys are going to be playing snaps on Friday. They're going to be playing a lot. Sure. <laughs> All those guys would probably be playing in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Jack on the tweet sheet says, on offense, I'll be watching Hodgins and Morris. I think both will stick, but Hodgins has to show he can play special teams. Morris has to show he's a versatile weapon. On D, I want Lewis to push for the roster. He's talking about Cam Lewis. Mm -hmm. Love the UB kids, Moxie. And Spectre, can he cement a spot? I think Spectre's on the roster if they keep six linebackers. If they only keep five, I think it's going to cost them. Um the other thing that I was going to point out is the Hodgins thing. So Hodgins, as I mentioned already, played on a bunch of the special teams units last mm -hmm. week. If he is on fewer of those special teams units this week, would you see that as a good thing for his chances or a bad thing for his chances? Because I, I think you can look at it both ways. I would view it from the perspective of that's a good thing because they've seen what they need to see out yeah, of him. That's one which, way to look at it. Uh, yeah, you could flip it the other way, but we've seen what we need to see out of yeah. him, and it's not good enough. <laughs> but I would right. be hoping it would be. Yeah, for we, his we've sake, seen right? what We've seen out of you, and we believe that you can play on special teams. You can be a factor on yeah. special teams. That's how I would view it. Same I, for you or different? I think I might 
look, I don't have a trained football evaluation. Yeah, I, like same. the people in the personnel department, but I was watching him pretty closely on special teams last week. And this is no knock on Isaiah because he is working hard to master it. He just doesn't look comfortable yet mm -hmm. to me. Like Which he's still doing – you know how we hear players on offense and defense all the time say when they come to a new system, I'm still thinking too mm -hmm. much? That's what he looks like out there. He's still thinking too much. So I anticipate he is again going to be on a lot of special teams so they can assess, mm -hmm. okay, can you make progress from one week to the next? Are you looking more comfortable? Do we see, you know, an improvement from one week to the next? That's why I'm expecting him to be out there just as much as he was last week because I think they want to see, okay, what kind of progress did you make? Are you getting more comfortable? So we know, like, hey, if we got to play you in week six – you'll be even better, mm -hmm. and we can trust you out there. So I think it's a progression type, type thing for him. Um, so if he's not out there on all the special teams, then I'm concerned because then, in my mind, mm -hmm. they've already made a decision on him. And it's tough for a guy like him. I mean, he came in and, and had that injury right away, so you would expect him, yes, he would be up to speed. He should be comfortable. He should be um, reacting, not thinking. Um, but this the injury that he had, I think, really set him back, and this is – I think really the first chance we've we finally got to see the real Isaiah Hodgins this training camp. Yeah. Oh, no question. Yeah. I mean, that rookie season was, I mean, it was lost. He had to get shoulder surgery, that whole thing. So, yeah, it does set you back. But he's put together a good training camp. He's done well on offense. The tough thing for him is I think he has to prove he can play on special teams because when you're the sixth receiver, more often than not, in a given week, if you're up and active – and everybody else is healthy. Most of your snaps, most of your snaps can be on special teams in the game. So you got to prove you can do it there. And that's his challenge. We have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by NFL reporter for the Ringer, Danny Heifetz, who put together a couple of interesting write-ups, including which teams he feels are all in, which teams are at the top of his list for pushing all of their chips. To the middle of the table. We'll get to that and more with Danny when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. who has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual-role player for you. Steve. A balloon. Steve. A blimp. <laughs> We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. All right, hour number two here on a Thursday. Chris Brown, Matty Glab with you on One Bills Live. And happy to be joined now by... NFL reporter for the ringer is Danny Heifetz joining us on the show who put together an interesting synopsis on the entire league in terms of which NFL teams in his estimation have pushed all their chips to the middle of the table and are quote unquote all in for 2022. And Danny, I think we got to start here. Um, there, you, you went, you did a deep dive here. You went into like a full blown formula. Super deep. Um, Maybe I, I think it's important that you explain that first um, because we all know the knee-jerk reactions of NFL fans in social media, the Bills Mafia included, 
And uh, I think it would behoove you to kind of explain how you kind of came up with the model to determine the all-in ratio, so to speak. Yeah, I'll spare you my PhD dissertation here, but uh, <laughs> my ringer colleague, Riley McAtee, who's uh, credit where credit's due. He's like the math whiz of the two of us. We put out this thing called the all index basically because how many times have you heard the Rams went all in to win the Super Bowl? right? It's this ubiquitous term. Oh, they traded the draft picks. They pushed all their money into the future. They signed these players. But what does that mean? What does it mean when a team goes all in? So we wanted to create a metric to measure how all in teams are. So we called it the all index. And we really just measured two things, money and draft capital, because that's really all teams got to build teams, right? It's just they can spend money or they can use the draft picks. So we're basically measuring how much are teams borrowing from the future, whether in the form of money, which is about accounting, which I will not get into, but I promised you we measured it. And then draft picks, which, for example, the Bills were not considering to be super all in in the draft perspective because the Bills haven't traded away their future picks. So we're not saying it's good or bad to be first. The Rams are the most all in team in our measurement. The Houston Texans are the least all in. We're not saying it's good or bad. We're saying in terms of draft picks, money, all this, we have the Bills ranked as the 10th most all-in team to win the Super Bowl this year. So having the Bills at number 10, can you explain how you guys arrived at number 10 in terms of their cap and their draft capital? So, yeah. So, basically, uh, the, we have the Bills spending money. The Bills actually are top three. So the Bills are trying. They're, they're trying, like they're throwing money, right? They're not spending like there's some small market team, right? And then you've got the draft. The, the the Bills aren't doing what other teams are doing, right? You know, they're not the Miami Dolphins where you know they're trading away future first round picks for Tyreek Hill. Obviously, the Bills did that a couple of years ago with Stephon Diggs. But measuring with going looking at this year's draft and the next few drafts, the Bills have basically held on to really most of their like really high value picks. I think they've uh, flipped like a fourth rounder, I think, in next year's draft, but like nothing, nothing really big compared to, you know, there's not the Denver Broncos trading away two first rounders to get Russell Wilson. So the Bills, I think, are spending at this like elite, elite level, but they're by keeping on to their current draft picks. It's not like the Rams where it's like, well, in two years, where's this roster going to be? The Bills are spending to win now, but they're maintaining the draft capital to stay competitive for the, the rest of Josh Allen's prime. I did enjoy the way you crafted Miami Dolphins portion of the write-up here. Um, <laughs> fan, you know, Bills fans are going to look at the list and be like, oh, the Dolphins are fourth? What the hell is going on there? Um, but your bottom line for them is they're accidentally all in, uh, which I <laughs> yes. think is an absolutely hilarious description and accurate at the same time. Um, but maybe explain, I think a lot of people say, all right, well, the Tyreek Hill is a go-for-it type move. Uh, to change the composition of your receiving core and have a true game breaker and help out your quarterback. Um, but maybe what beyond that resonated with you to, to rank them that high? So, so I think when we're looking at the rankings, what was interesting, it's accidentally all in. We actually had a conversation of whether we should include uh, the first round pick that was stripped for them for uh obviously you know Stephen ross dolphins owner you know there was there was tampering yeah. uh investigation and they got stripped of first round pick we had a debate about whether we should include that because obviously the dolphins didn't do that on purpose but we're like you know what like this is where they're at like this is for better or worse the dolphins traded a bunch of picks for tyree kill just to give him 29 million dollars a year annually and this is really what we're talking about going all in i think the reason we gave dolphins all in i mean they spent i mean uh, almost, I believe, like $100 million guaranteed. I mean, it's brought in uh, Teron Armstead to be the left tackle from the right. New Orleans Saints. They traded for Diary Kill just to give him this top-of-the-market contract. All really to see, 
is Tua good enough to be signed to be their franchise quarterback? And then on top of that, now your future first-round picks are also being stripped as well. So we basically have the Dolphins, the amount of draft capital they've given up for, you know, Tyreek Hill and, you know, basically Cedric Wilson, who is this other receiver they signed, is kind of equivalent, basically, to what the Broncos gave up for Russell Wilson. And so that's kind of what we mean with accidentally all in, because the Dolphins could have been acquiring a Russell Wilson like figure. And instead they're like a fringe wildcard team in the AFC, but they have like no draft picks left. It's just not a winning formula. And that's what I like about the all index is you're like, Oh, the, the Rams, they're all in. That makes sense. The Broncos. Cool. And the, the Dolphins, that doesn't make sense. But the Dolphins, if you look at the spending and the draft picks, they are more of a present focus team than the bills are, which is crazy. And really not a great sign of where that the Miami's heading. Was there any other team on this list that that was a head scratcher like the Dolphins of of what are you doing? You are spending or you're trading away a lot of your picks, but you're really not necessarily anywhere close to contending for a Super Bowl at this point. Oh, I, I know one on his list that'll qualify. <laughs> I mean, the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that team would be a lot better if, you know, Brandon Bean and everyone had stayed there, right? I, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty woeful what's going on in Carolina. I mean, just to give you a slice, the Panthers are ranked 11th, which is one spot behind the Bills. I mean, the Bills are the Super Bowl favorites. They're 10th. And the Panthers are projected to win like six games, and that's probably generous, and they're 11th. And it's like, that's what happened again. To be clear, that this isn't such subjective rankings as much as we're looking at draft capital spending. I know that's kind of like a vague thing. Here's a good example. Panthers give up a second round pick, very valuable pick because they did poorly. So a second round pick, which is really kind of like a fringe first round pick to get Sam Darnold. One terrible year, Sam Darnold, where he's basically the worst quarterback in the NFL. And then they decide Sam Darnold's not going to be their starting quarterback during the season. Bench him, but he's still the highest paid player on their roster. So the highest paid player on your roster cost you a second round pick and it's not going to play for you. Then on top of that, you trade basically a, a future third round pick to trade up, get Matt Corral, the quarterback from Ole Miss. And he was basically on track to be their fourth string quarterback for them before he's out for the season. But even before he, Matt Corral was out for the season, he was basically a guy who cost the two third round picks, wasn't going to be top three at the quarterback position. That's a team that's burning draft capital, lighting money on fire, to fix present day problems, it's kind of like if you're in a boat and you're kind of like ripping up floorboards to kind of plug holes, but the thing's still going to sink. Yeah, it's ugly. Uh, not to mention what they you know, did to get Baker Mayfield. I mean, yes, they're getting the Browns. Exactly. Which, which brings me to my next team um, because it's all in, but I'm wondering if you docked the Browns at all in light of what the suspension ultimately was. Because they go all in on Deshaun Watson, $230 million in guaranteed money. They agree to pay like more than half of Baker Mayfield's salary to not play for them, and they're not going to have Deshaun Watson playing for them either. Yeah, I mean, the Browns situation, I mean, the fact of the matter is that the Browns, um, for better or worse, the Browns are more all in on Deshaun Watson than any team has ever been on any individual in the history of the NFL. <laughs> we didn't let the suspension change our rating of him because we, 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 we basically are letting the numbers speak. And I think that the fact that the Browns have decided to go in, all in on Deshaun Watson, everyone can make up their own minds. Um, I would argue that probably was not the best decision the team could have made. I mean, it's just, it's kind of an insane thing to me, quite honestly, but the, I mean, the Browns rank thir uh, third in our all index. And that's what happens when you give a player basically $45 million a year guaranteed. And not, not to mention they give up, I think three first round picks in that trade. Yep. So the Browns have basically pegged their franchise 
to Deshaun Watson, despite everything he's been sued for, despite everything he's been accused of. And so, you know, this is this is the situation they've decided to put themselves in. With the Rams, the Buffalo Bills open the season against the L.A. Rams. We know they won the Super Bowl last year, but the question this year is, is can they do it again? They were all in this past season, look to be again this season. Uh, with this index that you did, uh, are you looking forward to seeing what this next season looks like? Because, sure, the all-in thing worked for the Rams this past year, but other teams are probably looking and taking notes as to seeing – is this is this sustainable here? Because that's been Brandon Bean, our GM's big thing, is we want to be sustainable in the way that we spend money and the way that we keep or deal away draft picks. We don't want this to be a one-and-done thing here. We would like to be good for multiple years in a row. I think that's a great question. I think that you definitely see a big gap between this all-index between uh, Super Bowl contenders who are going all-in and squeezing every edge now and Super Bowl contenders who are trying to extend their window and trying to diversify, uh, you know, so I guess putting different eggs in. If each season's kind of like a basket, team like the Rams are putting all their eggs in their current basket every year. And then you have a team like, for example, the Baltimore Ravens, who the Kansas City Chiefs, the Green Bay Packers, all three of those teams traded away their number one receiver, Marquise Brown for Baltimore, Devontae Adams for the Packers, Tyreek Hill for the Chiefs for a first rounder and are basically reinvesting in the prime of their quarterbacks or Aaron Rodgers is older, but still he's back-to-back MVP. And they're basically betting the next four years, you know, Aaron Rodgers for Green Bay, Lamar Jackson for the Ravens and Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs. We're going to be competitive. We need to reinvest in our team. The, uh, there's teams like the Rams, which are kind of doing the opposite, right? The Rams are going to go seven straight years without a first-round pick. I mean, that's unbelievable, right? But they're basically trying to throw all their eggs into every basket every season, and they're playing musical chairs. And when that music stops, one day they're, they're just going to you know, fall right in their butt, right? Kind of like <laughs> musical chairs. And I, I think that what's interesting is I think the Bills are kind of playing the middle. The Bills are spending like the Rams spend, and you need to spend a lot of money to do what the Rams do, but they're not mortgaging their draft picks to to at the expense of that consistency that year to year competitiveness which quite frankly the bills have lacked for a lot of the tom brady patriots era and it's i think it's it's nice to have the buffalo bills back as a team that uh i i would say you know who knows about the future but for the for the foreseeable future people are going to expect the buffalo bills to be in contention for the number one seed in the AFC every single year, really, for as long as Josh Allen's in his prime. And so I think it totally makes sense to try to walk the middle of that tightrope. Spending, as long as that Super Bowl, you know, when you're the Super Bowl favorite, don't pinch pennies. But also, it doesn't necessarily make sense to be selling the farm, especially in such a competitive AFC. Danny, I know that you guys did risers and fallers through week two of the preseason. Um, there are some people that haven't even played yet. Uh, which probably made your list considerably shorter um, <laughs> in terms of league-wide. But there are some names here that I was looking at, too. I mean, selfishly, I have a fantasy draft in about a week. But um, the names that have kind of caught my eye on your list, and I don't know what else you can lend to this, but Nico Collins, the huge receiver in Houston, and Jahan Dotson, the commander's receiver out of Penn State. Um Tell me why those guys made your list here. So I love Jahan Dotson. Yeah, the receiver for Penn State. I mean, he's unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't want to – It's I don't think it's ever fair uh, to compare players to, like, borderline Hall of Famers, but I'm going to do it. He kind of almost reminds me of DeAndre Hopkins when he goes up for a ball. There's an incredible aggressiveness when Jahan Dotson plays. He's, like, the less famous, less heralded of the first-round receivers, right? He's not quite as famous. Jamison Williams from Alabama, 
Chris Olave from Ohio State, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, Drake London from USC. These are like really cool players that went. Jahan Dotson's just the silent player. Washington's been clouded by all this, you know, it's, they're being their congressional subpoenas and Dan Snyder being on his super yacht is much more of a storyline this year than anything Washington's doing. But I think that Jahan Dotson's playing style with Carson Wentz is going to be really good. And he's going to like start for them right out of the gate. And Jahan Dotson, honestly, I, I don't even know how many people really know his name, to be honest. So I think Jahan Dotson's like the perfect guy to upside receiver to throw on your bench. And Nico Collins is like an even deeper sleeper to me of just, he, you know, there's a world where the Texans offense is not putrid and there's Brandon Cooks and there's like no one else in that offense. So Nico Collins is a talented guy. And I think that if Davis Mills is even, I mean, phrasing, but passable, Nico Collins could be a really high upside play. You also talked about Josh Palmer on that list. Can you explain why he was on that list? He's a favorite of mine. I worked at the University of Tennessee. We uh, worked together uh, when I was working there. So I, great kid. I love that he's having success this year, and I hope it falls over this past year, and I hope it falls over to this year as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, Josh Palmer, yeah, you said it. I mean, he just seems like a really nice guy, really great, easy guy to root for. And he, I mean, if you watch him play, he just seems – uber talented and then everyone really expects i mean if josh allen's not going to be mvp this year justin herbert seems like he's going to be right there and then basically what's nice about having josh palmer is that the third option in this chargers offense has really been kind of uh uh i mean revolving doors to be polite for the last five years it feels like there's keenan allen as the number one there's mike williams really as like a 1b and then just no one's filled that spot josh palmer just feels like such a natural to do it and if anything happens to keenan allen if an injury happens or mike williams Josh Palmer can play either of those guys' roles. Josh Palmer can do the Keenan Allen role and underneath stuff. He can do Mike Williams' big play stuff. So, you know, you kind of want, with those later round picks, you want a surface area of luck. And it's nice to have a player who could carve out an independent role, but also could fill in for either starter. So Josh Palmer's a great one. Last one for you, Danny. This guy is not prototype size in terms of tight ends, but Isaiah likely has been, like, lighting it up in the preseason. The, the problem I have is this. The Ravens, you know, they trade away Marquise Hollywood Brown. They don't bring some other receivers back. And people are joking in the spring before the draft that this team's going to line up in 13 personnel every play of the, <laughs> of the season and never have a receiver on the field ever again. Um, and then Likely comes along, and he's doing what he's doing in the preseason. But Mark Andrews is like their number one target for like the last two years. Um, I had him last year, and he did very well for me. How does that shake out, though? How do the targets shake out knowing Andrews is Lamar's guy um, when you got likely at the other potential tight end spot there? So the real answer is we don't know. It seems like Mark Andrews would be the number one. Rashad Bateman would be the number two. And I think that the hope is probably Isaiah Likely's number three. At the same time, it's always tough to depend on young tight ends to kind of just meet expectations right out of the gate. He has been crushing it in the preseason, to be sure. Realistically, I kind of feel like Isaiah Likely is the kind of guy that if you keep on your bench entering the season with the hope that he's good, you're probably going to end up cutting him in a couple weeks. That isn't necessarily bad because I think that the way you want to approach your bench in fantasy, like you have one spot left in your bench and you got to fill it. I think it's not the worst way to approach it as I'm basically trying to find the highest upside guy possible. And if he is really good, I want him to be good on my team instead of on waivers, because you're always trying to add a fantasy player in the first week or two anyway, based on the games. So you might as well try and project, okay, if this person hits, what's like the biggest hit rate I could have, because I'm going to cut him anyway. So I think that that's kind of the attitude I have with Isaiah likely is it's, it's probably realistically a low probability gamble, but the upside of 
wow, what if he's just the number three guy in the Ravens passing attack? Not to mention if, you know, if Mark Andrews does get injured, maybe he this is a top five tight end. That's, I think, the argument for Isaiah likely. But realistically, our expectations for him are probably a little ridiculous. One more question for you on my end before we wrap up here. Week three of the preseason, where are your eyes going this week as you as you watch the final preseason games uh, before we get into action here? I mean, there's only one. Well, no offense. It's not the Bills, right? The Bills aren't playing any starters. Playing nobody. I think <laughs> there's the only one answer. It's Tom Brady. I mean, you know, this is the biggest story. Uh, I think in the NFL, it's been very strange that he hasn't been part of camp. It's been very difficult to talk about. Obviously, you know, it's even, you know, people at uh, iconic levels of American culture do deserve some semblance of privacy. So I'm not sure why he hasn't been there. But I, I mean, the reality is Tom Brady this person who you would think would need to be dragged by wild horses to not be a training camp has not been there for, we don't really know why. And his entire offensive line has been absolutely decimated while he's been gone and his receivers aren't totally healthy either. So um, I don't know if there has been a meaningful preseason game that Tom Brady's played in that I have cared. I, I don't, maybe in my entire life, I don't know if I've ever cared what Tom Brady looked like in preseason. I'm like, I'll be fine. Who cares? Uh, this one matters. More matters more than anything I can think. That's definitely the one I'll be watching. Yeah, I'm just wondering if how risky that is putting him in front of a line with a brand new center and a brand new left guard because both those guys are out for the year. And yeah. my, I mean, they said he was on a family vacation retreat, whatever you want to call it, in the Bahamas. I don't know about you, Danny, but my guess is Giselle and Tom made that vacation. They planned that vacation when he retired. Then he unretired, yeah. and she said, I don't care. We're going. Figure it out. <laughs> and that's what happened. You don't mess with a supermodel, Danny. I'm just telling you, <laughs> especially from Brazil. <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Tom, Tom's taking care of a lot of Super Bowls. You know, taking care of the home front, always yeah. a good investment. Danny, always good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the regular season, man. We'll catch up with you down the line. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. That's Danny Heifetz. NFL writer for The Ringer. Uh, pretty creative with some of the stuff that he puts mm -hmm. together over there. Also does some podcast work uh, with his buddy Danny Kelly over there at TheRinger.com. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, your boy Josh Palmer. I was wondering if you are going to ask about him. Um, uh, such a big fan and a good person to look out for with fantasy drafts coming up. Kind of like a late-round sleeper yes. type. Because yes. it's a tough depth chart out there with the chart. I mean, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, um, and then did they they picked up a tight end too, like a veteran tight end. Um, so they got a lot of targets. So sharing the ball is going to be tough. But mm -hmm. Pal I know they like Palmer, so we'll see if he can nail down number three, number four role maybe in the receiving core. That'd be pretty cool uh, for him. 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Give me the one or two players you're going to have your eye on tomorrow night in the Bills preseason finale. We go to the phones at 803-0550 and waiting a long time here patiently is Mark in Webster. What do you got for us, Mark? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Um, hey, Chris, I don't typically ever disagree with you. I respect your opinion big time. But I had to call you today just to, to pose this question to you about the conversation you had about Smiley. Yeah. And, and the fact that the Bills may be dictating who they keep, the personnel they keep, based on helping the coach. To me, that, and I've heard you say this a million times, uh, the Bills pride themselves and they do a great job of developing players. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't see them not keeping guys who they think have even 
what they feel is great potential down the road as opposed to where they're at right now to help their coach. Um, coaches coach, and they're there to develop players. And if they don't think – I think they put their coaches in place and they fully believe they're able to conduct themselves and do the job, number one, but also develop players. So I can't see them saying, oh, we got to keep this guy or that guy just to help Smiley because he's a first-year guy. Yeah, I, they're, certainly not, they're certainly not doing that with our offensive coordinator. Um, the guy, and obviously we have a lot of talent there. But I don't see them saying we're going to keep uh, Hodgson over, you know, Kumro because we think he can, if they have to play, they can help Dorsey. I don't, you know, and in fact, and I'll just say one more thing and I'll let you talk. Um, if they hired a coach who they feel they need to do that to support and uh, help, then they hired the wrong guy. Yeah, I probably did not state it best in the way that I phrased it. I didn't mean it in that way at all. All I was okay. indicating was you're in a go-for-it year. You're going for the whole thing. And if you have a veteran player that may only be here one more season, but you think he's good enough to make your coverage unit consistent enough to put you over the top as opposed to a guy who might be a more valuable player down the line, I was just saying those are the decisions you're going to have to make. And with a first-year coordinator – who's got a lot of stuff that he's still getting a handle on, running the whole thing. If he's got more veterans on his unit, it is logical to think that there are more guys he can rest easy on and fully trust from the jump in week one in the front half of the season when you have the toughest part of your schedule. Does that better explain kind of what I'm getting at? In no way am I, in no way am I indicating that Coach Smiley is unqualified. As I said, he's been here yeah. from the beginning of the McDermott era. He is more than qualified. He probably should have been a special teams coordinator somewhere in the league before this year. Um, but yeah. I'm just saying with what's on the line this year, it wouldn't surprise me if they side with more veterans so they can trust more guys out there to execute and guys that have been there before on top of that. And, and that makes sense to a certain extent, but I will push back on that a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. Way. Uh, in this way, I, I think that uh, we have such a strong roster that even in the beginning of the year against tough competition, they can cover up for guys who may be not what a veteran guy is in the moment right now at the beginning, but may be much better in weeks 10, 11, 12, because they're younger, more athletic, more enthusiasm, whatever the case may be. Maybe they supply and they, they grow in their position during those weeks also because they're going to be yeah. you know, being developed in, in uh, practice along with special teams. So I think the Bills are in a very unique position to be able to really, really concentrate on guys who are very athletic, very talented, might have a few shortcomings as a young guy, but they can put their trust in their coaching staff to develop these guys and make them much stronger down the road. Yeah. Good call, that, Mark. That's the way I look at Yeah, so. good call, and I welcome the debate, and it was good to have you on. Um, and again, just to reiterate, I'm not saying they will go that way. I'm wondering if they do go that way, and if they do, I think those would be the reasons why. If they choose to go on upside, 
Well, that means they're trusting their player development, which has been very good under Coach McDermott. You've seen dozens of players on this roster get better with each passing year that they're here in these systems, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams. But I just wonder with what's on the line this year, with some of the playoff shortcomings that they have experienced the Mm -hmm. last two years, do they go the veteran route, believing they can trust them more, or do they go with the upside on some of these, and we're t- and really, Maddie, we're talking what one, two, maybe three roster decisions of an either-or scenario between a veteran and a younger mm-hmm. player, right? So I mean, it's just, but that's how fine they cut it. <laughs> and one thing that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott don't want is if we're talking about Raheem Blackshear here, let's say he doesn't make the roster and gets plucked by another team, they don't want in three years Raheem Blackshear to be some great running back who's, right. who's turned into to someone who's contending for possibly a starting spot on a roster. Of course, they'd be happy to see that. But Brandon Bean hates letting guys go who then have a lot of success with other yeah. teams. It's happened before. And he's admitted, I made a mistake by dealing that guy away. Yeah, the Wyatt Teller one mm-hmm. was the one that still gets his goat. Those have been few and far between. And people are like, well, you let Rashad Wild Goose get away or you let Jack Anderson get away. Those are two late round draft picks that were good players. They liked them. They just didn't have room on the roster because the roster's so good. Um, you'd like to keep everybody in a perfect world. The NFL is not a perfect world, even with a 16 player practice squad. So that's how deep the Bills roster is. Yeah. So there are still difficult decisions that they have to iron out. I was just curious from the standpoint of, wanting to win the whole thing this year and wanting to ensure in every possible area on the roster to be as buttoned up as you can, do they go vets in a couple of those decisions that we've talked about, or do they go young and upside? That's something to keep an eye on when the final roster is set early next week. Maddie and I take a break here. We're back with more, including some final thoughts on the tweet sheet and a little NFL true-false here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back. It's One Bills Live. Maddie and I have a couple of more comments from the tweet sheet to get to, and then we'll do a little NFL true-false. For those of you just joining us, today we're kind of asking player you're keeping an eye on in tomorrow's game, Bills-Panthers. We'll give us one on offense and one on defense. And let's see, where were we here? We were up to Clark, who says, I still want to see more from Kyir Elam. Guy's got a great opportunity to cover mostly wide receiver twos once Trey is back, but he'll need to play well. Offense, I'll go O.J. Howard. I'm still very curious to see where his ceiling is with his physical gifts. I'm hoping he can make an impact. O.J. flashed last week, got the touchdown catch, looked okay in the blocking game. Um, He is going to play, though. I mean, I think we should expect him to play a lot more again on Friday. Yeah, I think he's going to play a lot more, too. I think, sure, he hasn't flashed in different ways throughout camp. Um, Maybe some question marks still around him. But I think the bigger question of that tight end room is, you know, with the offense overall, if you're going to run a lot of two tight end sets, what do you want out of that second tight end that's on the field? Sure, there's a lot of different scenarios and situations where, you you know, he comes in as a blocker, he comes in as a pass catcher. 
how do you want that to look like? And, and can Tommy Sweeney and can Quentin Morris do the same thing? Um, you could argue both of those players are cheaper than OJ Howard. Both of those players also help out on special teams. Um, where is your value at? Um, has OJ Howard proven what he needs to prove in order to earn a spot on that yeah. roster and with that number two tight end spot? I'm I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I think his roster security is more tenuous than some fans realize because of some of the reasons you pointed out. He is not a factor on special teams. So if your second tight end is not going to be on the field a ton on offense, he better be doing something on special teams. And to this point, OJ really hasn't done much of that. And we know that Sweeney and Quentin Morris invariably do. So does that tip the scales in favor of one of those younger players? We'll have to wait and see. As for Kyir Elam, Clark was believing that when Trey comes back, Kyir will be covering wide receiver two. I don't even know if he's on the field. Because Leslie Frazier has said in no uncertain terms, Dane Jackson is the number two corner after Trey gets back. It, and has said that more than once. And I don't think that changes. And um, it's a learning curve for Kyir Elam who's still kind of learning how to play off coverage after playing predominantly man in Florida. And he has the physical gifts to play at this level. Um, guy's working his tail off every single day on the field, in the film room, et cetera. But again, I'll go back to it. You're going for the whole enchilada this year. The best guys are going to be on the field. And right now in the defensive staff's estimation, that's Dane Jackson. And if Tredavious White's healthy, Tredavious White. And those are your two starting outside corners, and Taron Johnson's your guy in the slot. So that's where it stands if you have a healthy Tredavious White. If you don't, well, then Kyrie Elam's on the field, and maybe he platoons with his fellow rookie, Christian Benford, because that's what they've been doing in practice. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's been one guy with the ones the whole time. They've been platooning over there. That could spill into the regular season based on how the next couple of weeks goes. And if the Bills are, are winning games at the rate that we want them to win games in, in terms of the points that they're putting up on the scoreboard, you could see at the end of a game maybe different defensive players and offensive players. We've seen it before against certain teams, especially in the past couple of years. Um, you can roll in your twos uh, during a game. Is that the factor here for a player like Kair and, and Christian? What do we see out of them this season? I, I would say they're both definitely on the roster based on what they've seen, what we've seen yes. from them in training camp, and of course with where Kair Elam was drafted. Um, but yeah, Dane Jackson last season. What happened when Tre'Davious White went out? The defense kept pushing forward. They, they still stayed finished number, number one, one in pass defense, along with total defense. Yeah, uh, didn't miss a beat. Robert on the tweet sheet says, my picks on offense, James Cook, and on defense, Terrell Bernard as a backup and maybe a starter next year. So, yeah, good picks there. I think we believe those two are firmly on the roster. Both have had really good training camps and preseasons. So I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, you think about this draft class, Maddie. I think just about everybody in the draft class is a lock to make the roster. I think the only exceptions are Specter, who could get caught in a numbers game, and Luke Tenuta, the offensive mm -hmm. lineman, who I think just needs more time on the job more than anything else. Got to work on his feet a little bit, but um, there are a lot of veterans in front of him, too. Let's spin over to a little NFL true-false, though, Maddie. NFL True False presented by Patron Tequila. 
the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin with NFL true-false number one. A two-quarterback system is feasible for the Seahawks this season. True or false in your estimation? Are we going feasible in that it can happen or feasible in that it's going to help them win games? I think this is feasible games? in that it can work. And that it can work. It can work for the Seahawks offense. Is that feasible as you see it? I am of the argument that I've seen two quarterback systems in college. I've been a part of one. It hasn't worked. I don't think it works. I think you need two of the exact same quarterback if you're going to run a two-quarterback system. While I think the two quarterbacks share similarities in ways, I do not think they're the exact same. So, therefore, I am false because I don't think it can work. I'm having trouble thinking of a two-quarterback system that got a team to the postseason. I know the Bills in the 60s had Jack Camp and Daryl LaMonica, and they were a successful team. I don't know that they won a championship when those two were playing because Coach Saban would bench a guy if he wasn't looking good. It was a different time and a different era. But I think that was after their AFL titles when that happened. Um, so with that, well, no, maybe it wasn't. I got my – it's too far back to remember. Point I'm trying to make here is more often than not, two quarterback systems do not work. I mean, yeah, it, it's not feasible. So I will say false here because I just don't see it working. And if they decide to rotate, I think that's even worse for everybody else that's out there on offense. So false for me. Number two, NFL true-false. The Titans are the team most likely to win – fewer games this season than they did in 2021. Okay. There's probably some how teams many, you can pick from yeah. here. But. I'm like going back, okay, how, well, many, they, how many games did, did these teams win? They had an extraordinarily year? successful year last year, even though they did not have Derrick Henry for Same. half the season. They were the number one seed. Number one seed. Because they were 12-5, and five, I believe, and they were the number one seed in the league uh, in the AFC last year. So are they the biggest candidate to like, – I guess you're, what you're asking here is could the Titans be one of the teams to take the biggest step back from where they were last year? Are the Titans team most likely to win less games this season than in 2020? I would, I would say they are likely to win less games, but I don't want to say most likely. I okay. think there's other teams in the NFL who could win less games than they did last year so i'm i'm saying false okay i don't think they're gonna be as good yeah but i, think I don't want to see i don't want to say that they're gonna they're the most likely team in the nfl i think they are gonna take a step back to what degree i think is tough to is tough to pin down and i'm just gonna say personally i will say false too because the team i'm hoping that's most likely to the win less Patriots. games is the new england patriots who won 10 they games won 10 last year games. And I'm hoping they're a five-win football team I was going to say year. the Patriots, too. And I don't see the Tennessee Titans dropping off quite that far. I think the Patriots are ripe for a disastrous season. So I'm going to say false and pick the Patriots, for the team most likely to win less games this season than they did in 2021. That is NFL True-False, brought to you by Patron Tequila, the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. Break time for us. Maddie and I will... Pack it up in the next segment next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned.
right, last couple of tweet sheet picks on players you'll be watching tomorrow night against the Panthers. Kenny says Shakir and Benford. He wonders if Shakir paves a way to be the number four in front of Crowder to play inside and outside. I will tell you I don't anticipate that happening at the beginning of the season. Maybe something changes later, but not now, um, not based on what we've seen. Uh, will the staff feel comfortable with Benford being behind Elam Jackson until Trey White gets back? That's a good question. You know, Maddie, let's think about this. Let's just say Trey White goes on PUP, not available for the first month of the season. Dane Jackson's your number one. Elam's your number two. Taron Johnson in the slot. Benford, first guy off the bench. What do we what do we think about what do we think the staff thinks about that? I think he's done a lot to prove that he yeah. he could be the he first hasn't guy off looked of the bench. Out of place out there. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been too big for him. The fact is he's still a rookie. He's probably not going to get everything right if you got to put him out there. It's not ideal. You'd like him to get more experience, but Kid's shown up, man. He's shown up. All bills all day goes with Morris and Cam Lewis. Position flex for Lewis will go a long way to determine if he sticks with the 53, and that's going to mean important snaps at safety tomorrow night for him. Make the right reads, choose the right angles of entry, that kind of stuff. Morris is intriguing because with Howard being an able blocker, maybe Dorsey sides with the more athletic guy. I don't know who the more athletic guy is. Morris is pretty athletic. Yeah. He's a converted receiver to the tight end position. He can move. Two different body types, too, with Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris. Yeah. Does that factor in there? Tight end is going to be a fascinating position of decision, and tomorrow night could go a long way in determining that. Maddie, thanks for helping us out today. Tomorrow's show, we've got former University of Miami head coach Butch Davis, Coach Ken Dorsey as a quarterback, and Jim Zyoki is going to give us the update on the Carolina Panthers. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.